In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, tonight we meditate upon Jesus, on who He is and what He's done. And we'll consider it in that order, His person and then His work. Uh, First of all, the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus has two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. Jesus is not a mixture of human and divine, like as if he were half God and half man, but rather Jesus is fully, truly, 100% God, and yet at the same time, fully, truly, entirely, 100% Man, all at the same time and in the same place, never one without the other. So I want to make sure that we're on the same page when it comes to who Jesus is, that he is fully God and fully man. Now, the Bible also teaches that there are also two different states or stages in the life of Christ. Christ has a state or a time, a stage of humiliation And he also has a state or time of exaltation. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, teaches us about the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. Uh, This this text was most likely an early Christian hymn uh, after the resurrection of Jesus that Paul himself knew. And the text says this, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Did you see that? He humbled himself. He became obedient to death upon a cross. And then the text continues Uh, uh, right now with these words it says therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father so here we see that god exalted him that there is a time of exaltation so that jesus has a time or a period in his life of humiliation and one of exaltation so you see the sort of movement that christ starts in 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 uh, up high up top with god he humiliates himself comes down low is brought low and then he returns to this exaltation with the father again so this movement right is is a lot to preach about and we're going to meditate on each one of these separately. First, his humiliation. Uh, And we're going to do that tonight. Next week, we will meditate on his exaltation. But considering his humiliation, you know what this means, right? To be humiliated. It means to be made humble. To be brought low. To suffer shame. To be considered a fool. To be despised and disrespected. And to be mocked. So when we talk about the humiliation of Christ, we are talking about these things, his being brought low. Now, before I tell you exactly what his humiliation is, let me first tell you what it is not. To begin with, uh, Christ's humiliation begins at his incarnation, but it is not because of. Of his incarnation. 
So I'll say it another way. Christ begins to be a lowly servant when he is made man. But it is not because he is made a man or because he has flesh that that's his humiliation. Right? There is a subtle distinction there. Uh, yes, it is certainly a gracious a mind-blowing truth that God of God, light of light, very God of very God, took on flesh and was made man, was, became a baby. He had eyes and ears and nose and mouth, a heart and skin. And we call this the gracious condescension of God, that he comes down to be with us, taking our flesh. And this in and of itself is worthy of all of our praise. Uh, God who made man became man. I preached on this on Christmas Day this last year. Uh, to be made man, to have flesh, however, is not what it means to be humiliated. If we were to say having flesh is what it means to be humiliated, or that's the humiliation of Christ, then that means that Jesus, who still has his flesh, even after his resurrection and ascension, must still be in a state of humiliation. Even more, it would mean that when Christ himself is present in the Lord's Supper in his body and his blood, then that would mean that he is in a state of humiliation and not exaltation. But that's not true. Christ's humiliation is not because he was made a man. Rather, his humiliation consists in him becoming a lowly man. He took on the form of a lowly man even from his conception, even at his birth being laid into a manger instead of a royal palace or a crib. He lived in a state of humiliation for 33 years from his conception, his birth, his suffering, which then culminated in his death and his burial. Even though he possessed the form of God, though he himself was God, his humiliation is that he took on the form of a servant a slave for this world, for sinners, for you and for me. More on that later. But the next thing is this, that even though Jesus became flesh, he did not change into flesh. So remember John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Did you notice it, it says that the word became flesh. This does not say that the word turned into flesh or was changed into a man. In other words, when God became man, he didn't cease to be God. He continued being God. So if, but if we say that the humiliation of Christ consists of God turning into a man or changing into flesh and leaving his divinity, then Jesus would no longer be God. He would be less of God. And the truth is this, that God can't stop being God even for a moment, even in his incarnation, when the word became flesh and God was made man, he was still God. So who was it in that manger? It was God, right? Who was it uh, in the wilderness? That was God. Who was it on the cross? That was God. He remained fully God while becoming fully Man, He didn't exchange the divinity for humanity. His humiliation is not that he became a man, and it's not that he is less of God. So, what does it then mean 
that Christ humiliated himself. It means precisely this, that his humiliation is found in this, that during his earthly life, he truly refrained from the full use of his divinity. And he did this so that he could take our place. So I can think of no better text that teaches the humiliation of the Lord and the benefit of his humiliation than Isaiah chapter 53. So hear these words. That Christ in his humiliation had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, upon Christ, the iniquity of us all. Every single sin in the world. Every single sin committed, every single sin uh, committed now, every single sin that will be committed from the first man to the last man, all of these were piled on top of Christ the Lord. It continues, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no, not one word of deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul. He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make the many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. He poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the sinner. That is, he pleads with God on our behalf that God would not look at our sins or deal with us according to our sins, but according to his loving kindness that he gave in Christ. This is the humiliation of Christ. Now, before closing, I want you to consider why. Why did he do this? Why did he endure All of these things. Why did he refrain and restrain himself from his own power that was due to him and all the glory that he had? Uh, Why did he endure such torments and submit himself 
to obediently suffer and, and endure such pain? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what does this mean? It means simply this, that when the Lord Jesus looked at the cross, when he saw all of the pain that he would have to endure, when he saw how much he would have to hunger and thirst, when he saw how the nails would tear and pierce into his hands and his feet, when he saw how the thorns would dig into his skull, when he saw how he would suffocate on the cross, how he would hang lifelessly there, when he saw that he would, how he would have to bleed out and die, how he would suffer the wrath and anger of God poured out upon him, the great anguish and misery and mockery of being forsaken by the Father and suffering the full pain of the eternity of damnation there in a moment on the cross. When he looked and he saw all that he had to do in order to take your place and save you, he said, it's worth it. For you, this is worth every ounce of pain and suffering. For you, you are my joy and I will bear every second of it. I don't care what shame or pain or agony I have to go through. I will gladly go through it all. I will go to hell on that cross and back. So long as that means that you will not have to. And I will gladly give up my power, my dignity, my glory and my life for you. Because I love you. Because there's nothing that gives me more joy than your joy. Because there is nothing that would make me more happy than to forgive you all of your sins, to give you everything I have, and to have you with me forever. You are the joy that was placed before him. And you are the reason he endured all things all suffering, all pain, all misery, all anguish was for you. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.